you have this massive ripple effect. Mm. Yeah. And it goes through all those components of your life into your into your relationships, into your work, into your hobbies, into everything. It's you know, how you are with your family. The, the state of you affects all of those things greatly. In this week's episode of Trademarts 120 Grit, we sat down with our mate Nick Sutherland. Nick is a mental health practitioner and founder of MindFit. He is what's considered to be a lived experience practitioner, meaning instead of taking the conventional scholastic route to becoming a psychotherapist, he went to the school of life and his initial teachers were his mistakes. Nick has been a fantastic teacher and sounding board for Trademart when it comes to mental health. He comes from a very relatable background, being an ex-recon soldier in the Australian Army. He also takes the approach of equipping people with the tools and resources needed to understand their own mental health. But first, here's a message about our legendary sponsors who make this podcast for the working class possible. Quotespec is the newest building and construction quoting app created and designed by a working builder. Produce job-winning professional quotes in minutes with Quotespec's cloud-based quoting software. Get your free trial at www.quotespec.com and be prepared to get your life back. Righto, we're recording. Oh, blimey. Nice. Sorry, mate, you're going to need these. Who said that? Oh, thanks, mate. That's better. Wow. (laughs) Well, we say it every week, but we do have a very special (laughs) guest here. He really is special. We've got, for episode 15 of 120 Grit Podcast, the podcast for the working class, Nick Sutherland is in the studio, finally. Nick's an ex-recon soldier from the Australian Army, a mental health practitioner and co-host of the Woke Blokes podcast. Nick, welcome to 120 Grit. It's disappointing to be here. (laughs) (laughs) I never thought Dan was going to spit that out. He was talking (laughs) so slow. But welcome. Thank you. Thank you. It's good to have you here, mate. Good to be in the hood, in the tr- in the mud hut. In the mud hut, mate. You've s- you just spent a couple of days up here in Brisbane. I hope so. You've been a busy boy. Yes, yes. Uh, speaking at a industry association conference, uh, which was great, and then yeah, time with you lads. So we met last year sometime. When do you reckon that was? About June-ish? Yeah, I reckon you had under a thousand followers. Oh, we don't talk about followers. We don't talk about followers. <laughs> They're not followers, they're part of the family. The clan, the trademark crew. I think you had a small family. Yes, small family and we've grown it. Yeah, so we, you reached out to us. I did. After, where did you see us? Uh, Facebook Channel 7 News thing. Oh yeah, that was, if, that was the first. Yep. Yeah, when we both looked like complete idiots. Nothing's changed. Yeah, nothing much has changed, it's all good. And you reached out to us because you thought the concept behind trademark was really cool. Loved it. My dad was a tradie, um, yeah, and, and and just the the whole thing about the shirts and raising awareness around men's mental health and my personal history with all of that. It sort of, yeah, it all sort of it all joined, and uh, so I reached out just to say, is there anything I can do to help? And you've helped a lot because I think in that time you've been a, quite a sounding board for us, for both Ed and myself in the mental health space. And I think given your background as a recon soldier in the military, it sort of made it, you know, pretty relatable for us as well. Mm-hmm. But you've got your own story that's led you to that point, to becoming a, a mental health practitioner and your, your time in the military and all that sort of stuff. So I suppose it'd be a good idea to take it back there a little bit. and Let's delve into it. Dive let's, go, in. let's go back in time. Yeah, let's go back. Where's your buttons for all your music? <laughs> Don't they're do it. They're there, but I'm, it's, <laughs> I'm not coordinated enough to... Yeah, <laughs> he's been banned. <laughs> Rossi's yeah. put the foot down. So you're in the military up in Darwin, correct? Yeah, yeah. So prior to that, like, I had, uh, to go back even further real quick, I had um, uh, my biological dad had undiagnosed bipolar disorder, yep. which is manic depression back then. So he was self-medicating with drugs and alcohol. So um, his moods were all over the shop, plus the drugs and the alcohol were just exacerbating everything. So pretty tumultuous sort of start, yep. I guess. Um, you know, he used to forget about us and leave us at the pub and there was, there was sort of um, violence in the house, I suppose. And She's like primary school age. I was, uh, up to grade four. Wow. Yeah, yeah. real early stuff. Uh, up to 
grade four up to I was four years old. Oh right, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then so mum, uh, he he left and him and mum separated, and then another guy came on board, um, my stepfather, who then adopted me and my sister. Yeah, um, which was massive of him. Uh, he was pretty young at the time, so we moved up to Queensland, lived in Brizzy for a bit, and uh, moved back to Ballarat. And then I was I was a bit lost. I, was, I think. Moving around so much, I was a bit all over the shop, no confidence, no self-esteem, so I was a class clown, always sort of <laughs> acting out, trying to get people to like me, and um, uh, and then this dude came along, um, who was one of my sister's boyfriend's friends, and he was a few years older, but saw I was off the rails, and suggested I uh, join the army, he was in the army reserve, so I, joined, I started as a reservist in infantry, yep. um, and I was pretty fit, uh, you know, mum and dad were working, so I had to ride me pushy all over town to get to sports and everything. So I was, yeah, I was pretty fit. But then I, I went to 13-week boot camp and I came out stupidly fit. Like, just, I loved running. It just, it really sort of, um, th- that 13 weeks really took a, a man, a boy and turned him into a man sort of thing. Yep. Um, and, yeah, threw myself in the deep end, came home and, and my mum and dad were still going who is this? I was getting up at six o'clock going for a run around the lake, six Ks, and how can I help around the house? And, you know, I was actually contributing, which was really nice. Uh, but I was still a bit lost in, in employment and that. So my mate Dion said, oh, why don't we join the full-time army? And I went, yep, sure, cool. Uh, and then he died um, before we got to do that. He, got, he was riding his motorbike and in the bush and got cleaned up by a car. Um, yeah, right. So that's what... Had who there's for it's the date that he passed away. When I was in hospitality, everyone would be like, Oh, what's the day? Is that your date of birth? I'm like, Why would I get my date of birth <laughs> on this? Anyway, <laughs> no, people have done it before. <laughs> <laughs> no, I suppose they have. Uh, so I think it was one of those sliding door mo- moments where Dion's passing, I held to, to that um, decision I made. I stayed true to that path that I'd, I'd said I'd go down. So I'd, I joined the army by myself. Uh, and ended up going, being posted in Darwin um, with two cav, so reconnaissance up there, um, driving line armored vehicles, and it was real interesting. Like uh, I loved it, I loved the physicality of it, but the the mentality of the army. This was the early two thousands, um, all male regiment. You know, I was a bit different. I um, probably thought a bit too much, and so I d- didn't quite fit in in some regards, but still performed my job and everything. Uh, then a blooming out, so um, one sort of noticed a move to go to East Timor. Uh, yeah, blooming out, and um, that sort of changed my whole life. I didn't realise at the time that that physical trauma brought with it an unseen mental or emotional trauma as well. Um, and so I started spiralling down. I didn't respond well to the, the surgery or the... Uh, the rehab afterwards and then because you can't do your job you're thrown on the scrap heap and then uh you, you're treated pretty poorly so uh in my case i was sort of a heap of dudes jumped me and they stripped me down tied tight you know zip tied me naked to a, a y cage and you know, i got the fire hose onto me and using the whips off the vehicles and all that sort of shit jesus so just just because i couldn't do my job yeah okay? and yeah. Then i was that pack mentality type yeah pretty much give it to him yeah yeah, and then I, I, was, I sort of treated uh, yeah that way f- for the rest of my time in the army uh, until I got discharged. Uh, so I was discharged with a permanent knee injury and and anxiety and depression. Uh, and the anxiety and depression came from a couple of places: how I was treated after the injury, but also the trauma of um, not being able to run anymore. Um, Sense of purpose. Yeah, well, I lost I lost my job, I lost my mates because they all didn't want to sort of get hit with the same brush, you know, tied with the same brush as I was. Um, Great I lost, mates. I lost, oh, well, I can understand it. It was weird. The night I discharged, I was at the pub and everyone came up. I'm like, mate, fucking so sorry to see how you were treated and, you know, you didn't, know, you didn't deserve that and everything. I was like, okay, cool. But later I was like, why didn't you say anything at the time? <laughs> Hello. Or, yeah. <laughs> But they didn't, and, and that's that's how life goes. So, yeah, I, I lost sort of everything. My family's in Melbourne. I was in Darwin. Uh, I was discharged without being linked into any psych services. So, yeah, I turned to alcohol um, as, as my support, my coping mechanism. Uh, I 
took off over to Europe for a couple of years and just sort of drank my way through Europe and uh, had what I thought was a great time. But looking back, it was it was fun. It was great, but um, it was there was a lot of unhealthiness to it. So um, and then I came back and ended up down the Mornington Peninsula, and that's where I tried linking in with Department of Veterans Affairs. So I learnt through someone that. I was um, I was entitled to getting getting some support, so I I reached out and DVA, as I've since learned, is is just an insurance agency, Department of Veterans Affairs. The Veterans Affairs is very misleading. Uh, they don't, they don't really sort of care about you um, at that time. So, plus I was so raw still, I was so sensitive because um, I was I was still you know, hadn't hurt. been dealt with. Yeah, I was still hurting. You know, a great deal. So I reached out and they just treated me like a number and I became really codependent on them and I realised, looking back, how much I outsourced my happiness and, and that created uh, my mental health. Um, had gone from being in a really good space to when I left the army, my mental health had deteriorated and I had mental health issues and then left unattended to for eight years, they developed into mental illnesses. So eight years later, I was I was in my house and... Couldn't work, I couldn't even open the door. Like I had the agoraphobia, um, which was just debilitating anxiety. I just, you know, I'm a fully grown adult male and there's no barriers, there's no obstacles, physical, but I couldn't turn the doorknob and pull the door open because I was so afraid of the letter that was going to be in the letterbox from DVA. Uh, And then, so that combined with the depression that just deteriorated sort of got me into that headspace of, all right, well... uh, I don't want to end my life, but I, I want to end the life that I'm living. So suicide became a very real option. And um, it was that probably aha moment, that that epiphany, I guess you could call it, where I was at the door and I'm, I'm, I was just, started me, some part of me started laughing. I was, I was like, what the, f- <laughs> like I'm a fully grown adult male and I cannot turn this door that I know is unlocked and I cannot walk outside. So if my mind is capable of this, if my mind has created this invisible barrier that stopped me from going out, what's it capable of at the other end of the spectrum? What's it capable of if I actually put some time and effort and energy into it and start training and conditioning it and you know, looking after it? So that, uh, that epiphany, I guess, created a bit of a created a crack in my agoraphobia. I don't know if I can shot through it because I didn't, I didn't want to die. So um, bolted out the door and went and saw a GP, linked me into a psych real close um, so I didn't have to go too far. And, yeah, spent the next year basically deconstructing and then reconstructing myself, like breaking down everything, like my whole entire self. I was still still Nick, but the shift was that big that my friends, you know, that I had back then and still have now, they, they refer to the old Nick and the new Nick. Because it was it was that much of a turnaround, so it took a massive amount for me to reach out and get help. But I knew that if I didn't, the the alternative was permanent. So um, yeah, breaking down, had to put myself in a in a position where I could get challenged because I had so much irrational thinking, and I was so illogical. I was my my, my they call them cognitive distortions. So my mind was so distorted that I, I literally wasn't thinking straight. Um, and my emotions were, and they call it emotional disturbances, so the depression and anxiety and guilt and anger was so consuming that I, I, I couldn't feel anything else. So once I, once I got into this safe space, I guess, uh, which is what I try and create for which is what I do create for my clients now, is it's a safe space for them to be vulnerable and in that space they're not being judged and I wasn't being judged, you know. I could actually ask questions and, and just put it all out there. I could speak about for the first time about, you know, what I learnt was... Bet- it's called sexualized violence, what I experienced. Um, I, I never had a name for it. I didn't... Sexual abuse didn't really fit my mind because it's... What I thought of. Are you talking about the the process of being strung up, yeah, yeah. sexualized violence, being yeah. strung up and hosed down naked? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, there was touching of the genitalia. It just it wasn't in a sexual manner. Yeah, it was you know, from a different space. So I'd never really 
talk that with anyone. I, I, I guess I had a lot of shame around that as well. Was it my fault? Did I ask for it? Similar to, you know, people who experience sexual abuse, I suppose. But you uh, just felt completely violated. Yeah. Well, these are the, these were. This was my tribe. You know, this was mm. this was you know, the mates I was about to go to mm. on a deployment with. Uh, and then because I couldn't do my job, it was just became an easy target. So yeah, that sense of betrayal, that, you know, you, you start questioning yourself and all that. And um, so, so working in that space with a, you know, a I'll, I'll call it a good therapist, uh, a good practitioner, uh, really gave me that opportunity. And to be honest, she didn't have to do much because I, I seemed to have a natural knack for this, I guess. Um, so she just gave me a space to. She asked me a few questions and let me figure things out um, in my own way, which is a sign of a good practitioner. You know, you can you can see someone's natural emotional intelligence, and all you have to do is give them a few little things to work with, and they they can do a lot themselves. So, yeah, it came through that a completely um, different person. So that process I've, I've learned is called metanoia. It's like a psychological breakdown and then rebuild. And and everyone has this aversion about a breakdown. You know, I can't have a breakdown. But that can be a really cathartic thing. It can be a very important process. Um, so for me it was. And then, yeah, I was like, fuck, there's so much value in this now. I, I'd, I'd, I'd forgiven my dad, um, you know, my biological dad, and I put myself in his shoes and I was like, well, imagine being a dude that, you know, beats his kids up and beats his wife up and leaves them at the pub and does all this stuff but deep down loves them so much but he can't show them through his behaviour that he loves them uh, and I thought what would that have been like for him so when I stopped making it about me and I started making it about him I stopped being the victim you know, and I, I started making it about him and used some empathy and compassion uh, it was really interesting I could see him in a different light and I could feel for him and I'm like Fuck, it must have been terrible for this this bloke to to not show his kids he loved them. So in that I learned to love him unconditionally and forgave him and accepted everything. And uh, people ask, you know, how's your childhood? How's the army? And I used to say when I was still toxic, um, when I was still wounded, uh, I'd say, oh, yeah, my childhood was fucked and you know, the army don't go near it. It's the worst thing in the world. Um, but that was the hurt part of me speaking. It wasn't me, me saying that. So now when I, when I did the work, um, now when people ask, I'm like, it was, it was a really challenging but rewarding experience. Uh, I wouldn't change anything for the world because I wouldn't be sitting here in the mutt hut with you two dudes. Yeah, exactly, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had yeah. to, but I had to find the value in it. I had to, I had to f- and this is what a lot of people don't do, they, they stay in that victim mentality, this is happening to me. And I had to learn it's not about me, it's just, just, it's just a life experience and, we all have it to some degree and, and so there was a value in there that I could then use in combination with um, and my mental health studies as a psychotherapist and my lived experience uh, and my army. I sort of combined all three and we're like, this is, this is, this is going to work. So I opened up my business and 10 years later, here we are. It's a pretty incredible story. So you think stepping in that hole, well, actually not even that. Because there's losing your best mate, there's everything you went through with your dad. It's just a whole sequence it's of It's endless. You could events. pull it back to anywhere to say anything could have changed. Yeah. Well, that's not anything could have changed. It's just a series of events that led yeah, exactly. to, you know, stepping in that hole when you're running and yeah. <coughs> to, to be discharged and all of it. Like, it's just... But I think it's, the, uh, I guess, you know, I think this is really, I'm so connected to this now. This feels like my purpose. Yeah. And so I feel like I was meant to have all those experiences and... To, to have all that um, knowledge, first-hand experience. So now when I'm, you know, my clients sort of, the work I do resonates with them because it's so different to what's out there at the moment. I'm sitting there and I won't enable them to have a pity party. Um, I won't enable them to go into the story. I'll validate what they're feeling. But I say I care enough about you to tell you what you need to hear, not what you want to hear. And a lot of people want to go back into their story and try and stay that victim, but and explain why they're like that and how they it, yeah validates yeah. why they can keep feeling or, this way. Is or whose fault was it? And, mm. and you know yeah. all of that. And to well, me, there's no value in that. Well, they're trying to rationalise yeah. 
what's going on in their own head, right? Yeah, they're, trying, they're trying to yeah put it put it all, all together. This is why this is put happening. the story together so that it makes sense to them, and then they can yeah completely justify yeah. their their feelings and emotions. Yeah, I but I, I go through acceptance though, and so mm. just you can't change the past. All we can change is our perception of the past. So that's what I had to do. I could finally turn around, look at all of my past, and and just be completely one hundred percent at peace with everything that's happened. Because I've forgiven and I've accepted. Isn't it crazy, like, when you think about kids who are going through school, right, and, uh, you know, wanting to figure out their path and their destiny and their lifelong career. At the age of 13. At the age of... What do you want to be? What do you want to do? Destiny. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And... The universe is looking down going, yeah, I'm interested here because I've got a plan, but what do you think you're going to be? Exactly right. And then, you know, I mean, even the same for for, for our journey to end up here, it's like doing doing trademark. It's like you don't make that decision at that age and just do it. You need to experience life. I can't remember what OP score I needed to get into trademark. (laughs) (laughs) Pretty low. (laughs) Or high. 21. Whichever the bad one is in that direction. Um, but yeah, that's is like I guess that story in itself is to go through all of that sort of stuff. Yeah, a so lot I'll, of challenging experiences to to get money. And you know, I was I was a bartender before the army, so I was in hospitality. Uh, and then after the army, I became a lifeguard, not a very good one. Uh, <laughs> and then I went into um, uh, helping people with disabilities to find jobs. Uh, and so you look at all of those things. So. Bartending, military, lifeguard, and helping people. And none of that really equated. There was no career progression. There was no career path there. But every single one of those jobs has given me a skill set that I can use in this, mm. what I'm meant to be yep. doing now. Do you pull drinks for your clients at the moment? or no. Just <laughs> cups of empathy. Empathy. Equanimity. Equanimity, that's it. No, but it's, empathy. It's that. It's that uh, <laughs> I thought it was empathy. <laughs> Empathy. <laughs> no, but it's the uh, it's the reports. It's the people skills. It's because mm-hmm. uh, no, that's the first thing you need to do as a as a practitioner is help someone to feel acknowledged and safe and to build that rapport. And, and the biggest thing is trust. They can trust turning up. Yeah. And, and break down in front of you. Well, you're the first psychotherapist we've had on. Right. So. Mental health practitioner. Mental health practitioner. So Sounds I a suppose a lot of people out living. there that are listening. Yep. Hopefully there's some listening. Hopefully. Yep. Apart from mum and dad. G'day mum and dad. Uh, that don't know what the experience is like seeing a mental health practitioner. Mm-hmm. So let's run people sort of through that. When they come in and see Nick Sutherland, what Well, what, what are they going to get with me, as I said before, is different to what they're going to get out there in the norm. Yeah, it was so, like we were speaking with um, Justin um, Gaines the other day about how order a pizza. If you don't like the pizza, don't stop ordering pizza. Just go order pizza from somewhere else. Yeah. So it's the same with... Yeah, I sort of lucked out. I, uh, I had a really good GP who was more than just your 7 to 10 minute GP. He actually sat down and spent some time with me. Uh, and then he linked me into a really good um, psychologist. Um, and she was great. So for me... I was, was that something you were nervous to go and do? Yeah, fuck yeah, because I, I still was dealing with agoraphobia. Yeah. So okay. it, was, it was enough just to get out of my house, let alone go and see a psychologist. Yeah. But I guess I got to the point where I just knew that I had to see someone. You know. um, it, didn't, it didn't matter what I wanted, it was about what I needed. You mentioned when you had your experience with your, was it a psychologist? Yeah. And sh- she? Yep. Sort of asked you a bunch of reflective questions that kind of helped you to... Uh, work through it yourself yeah so she was more cognitive behavior therapy based and there's i hate stats because you can milk them to get whatever you want out of them so a lot of people out there are for it a lot of people out there against it it's i think it's just horses for courses whatever works for you so if you go to a cbt um based therapist and it doesn't resonate with you or it doesn't work for you say thank you i'm just gonna go and try someone else like yeah another pizza so, you're so what's it like seeing you? Um, <laughs> I'm seeing you. I'm just trying. I'm just, I just want. I just want people to understand what yeah, it's like. So, so we have a. Uh, so I guess I've, I've spent the first sort of eight and a half years of my career in, in this industry. I was a psychotherapist, basically. I just worked with general issues and whatever. I'm you know, feeling bad. Okay, so I did more therapy work. 
um, which I loved and which was important. But then um, I sort of stepped away from it and looked at looked at what I was doing and how was I feeling, looked at the clients I was working with and I realised I wanted to change my business model. So I, I, I essentially closed down my business and then reopened as, as MindFit because I wanted to take that more proactive approach. I wanted, I guess I got a bit tired of trying to help people out of depression and anxiety and I wanted to teach people how to not get into that headspace. So... Taking that proactive approach um, was was very different. It was a big risk, I suppose, because there's not many. I haven't heard of many people doing it. So with me now, people come in and and we have a ninety minute discovery session, so they get to learn more about the methodology I use. Um, and we'll get into that later if you want. Uh, and then at the end of that, I learn more about them, what they bring into the table. You know, are they just wanting to be enabled and are they wanting sympathy? I won't work with those people, or are they like, yeah. Um, I need I need help and I'm willing to do whatever it takes. So, yep, great. Let's let's get to work. So then we've got a six week, a twelve week, or a twelve month program, depending on you know, how deep they are in their suffering. Um, and so during that process, it's just really the the essence of it is psychoeducation. So it's educating the mind. It's, it's changing the mind literally. So ne- neuroplasticity. Takes about twelve weeks to, to change a neurological pathway in your head, so that's what we're trying to do: is get people out of this autopilot, reactive, mindless thinking, and get them to being more present and aware and understanding of where their head's going. You know, it's so many people got this train just leaving the station with no driver in it, and it ends up in Shitsville, and they're like, "How the fuck did I end up here? This is where I want to be." So it's about all the, the thoughts or all the trains that we send out trying to make sure that there's a driver in it and going, oh, where are we going to? Is this going where I want to go? Yep, cool, no problems. Instead of just mindlessly reacting and letting everything dictate how we feel, it's so disempowering and it affects our mental health so much. And um, So coming to see me, it's an empowering process. I'm handing you tools and resources and knowledge that you then have to go and turn into wisdom through application. You've got to... So I see a PT. So yeah, come into the mental gym for uh, an hour a week, yep. and, but then you got to go out there and do more reps. Yeah, well, I think the one of the important things that Dan and I took away from uh, from your teachings was around the hard path versus the the easy path, uh, and about how people easy path just cruising along. Yeah, well, that's a mindless and mindful. I guess it's uh, disempowered versus empowered. It's, you know, remember the stimulus space response thing? Yeah. So taking the easy path um, is there'll be stimulus and, and everything is neutral. Everything we experience is neutral until we filter it and process it. And then we decide based on our values you know, whether it's good or bad. Um, so a lot of people, this is happening on a level they're not actually consciously aware of. So they'll just react to the stimulus and then they'll go into this headspace and when the stimulus is something that they, they don't want to happen. They'll frame it as being bad and so they'll go into this destructive thinking. Uh, he's fucked or it's shit or oh, the boss pissed me off today or she made me feel this way. Or what's this parking ticket? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we haven't spoken about that. That's hilarious. <laughs> and it, it's really interesting how people disempower themselves so much throughout the day. It's uh, Even the expression, he made me feel terrible he didn't make you feel terrible your reaction to whatever he said his the stimulus you chose was, that was to then feel yeah. bad so it's, it's happening internally nothing external really makes you feel anything you can kind of understand though how people who aren't i suppose educated in this space or haven't had it explained to them in in essentially layman's terms yeah could, could could go down that path, oh, mate. I was there, you know, and that's that's why I'm such an advocate for helping people to understand. And you know, when we when we do a presentation, we ask a room full of a hundred blokes who he's got mental health, and three of them will put their hand up, and we'll ask them why, and they'll say, "Oh, because I've had anxiety and depression, or I've tried suicide." So that's a negative connotation and perception of mental health. So a people aren't. People are ignorant in a literal sense that, that they that they don't have. It's not their fault. No, it's just, of course not. Yeah. They, they just don't have the awareness that they've got mental health because no one that's not taught at school, mm. uh, and and the parents don't know, so they're not teaching their kids. So you don't know that you've got mental health, 
Um, or if you think about mental health, it's all doom and gloom. So you're not going to go anywhere near it. Yeah. So that's, I guess, what we're here to change. Yeah, 100%. And then I suppose the the best thing about what you teach, it's just so easy to understand. Well, I'm a dumbass, so I had to... <laughs> <laughs> I had to figure it out myself. Dan's smiling over there like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't disagree. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean... But that's uh, your perception. <laughs> your perception. But your, yeah, like your your five steps, I suppose, around... Yeah. The five know, fundamental the Five fundamentals. Keeping mental health in good shape. Yeah. I mean, yeah. can we can we touch on those for the listeners out there? Sure. Um Mum and dad again. <laughs> we don't have a whiteboard in here. That's cool. So I guess everyone, uh, everyone was coming into me um, saying these are my these are my problems, and I, I started saying a pattern, and I'm like, they're not your problems. They're they're problematic things for you. That that's life happening, and then you not being in a position to self manage and self regulate and to move through those experiences and come out the other side of it in better shape than when you went into it. So it all started filtering down to these five sort of key things. And the first one was that people weren't making themselves a priority. They weren't prioritising their mental health and their happiness. And, and it's funny, people walk around saying, I want to be happy, but no one knows what happiness is. And, or, yeah, or how to be, I suppose. Yeah, but happiness by definition is to be content. You know, but how can we be content if we're always wanting this to happen or to not happen we've got all these mm. desires and attachments and i need that car aversions and yeah so we're outsourcing our happiness but yeah we want to be happy mm. should have brought a set of keys in here yeah the key to your happiness <laughs> there it is uh so yeah so and, pe- and people you know when i talk about prizes yourself we break it down into those three interlinking circles so mental health physical health and nutritional health because they all impact on each other greatly um, and so we get people to score themselves out of 10 and listeners can do this if you want to. So score yourself out of 10 in relation to your mental health. So how um, yeah, m- m- mental health is simply in relation to the state of someone's emotional and psychological well-being. So mental health is a, a spectrum of emotions. This end feels good, that end doesn't feel good. And, and as humans we experience them all, but where we get into trouble is where we get stuck in the end that doesn't feel good. So when we're looking at our mental health and scoring it out of 10, how how free are we to move up and down the spectrum and, and to predominantly stay in the, in the feelings that feel good? Yeah. So most people will say a 4 out of 10 or around there. Um, physical health, uh, if we asked your body, not your brain, but your body, how is it feeling? You know, stretching, moving, strength, all that stuff, free of disease and illness. Uh, a lot of the time people, oh yeah, maybe 4 as well. And then um, nutritional health. So if a nutritionist followed you around for three months and looked at everything that you consumed, solid, liquid, gas, <laughs> um, and what, what score would they give you? And, if, and, and people are, feel safe enough to be really honest and uh, say you know, discomfort precedes success. That's the motto for, for my programs. Um, so they get out of their comfort zone. And I want to say seven, but it's realistically it's probably a four as well. So four, eight, 12 out of 30. Right? And so if that's a V6 car, you know, you're running on just over two cylinders. And yet you're a husband, you're a, a partner, you're a colleague, you're a, a business owner, you're a friend, you're, you're you know, the wicket keeper in your local cricket team. You're all these things and you're walking around expecting yourself to be great at all these things, but you're only running off a couple of cylinders. Yeah. And, you, and usually people's priorities, when I work with traders especially, their priorities are work and then family. Yep. And that's it. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, so once again, if you're a car, you haven't got an exhaust, you haven't got an outlet. So if a car doesn't have an exhaust, it's going to run real shit. And we're the, we're the same, we're so similar. So prioritising yourself and realising, you know, you can't be good at anything else until you're okay within yourself. So when people say I don't have time to go to the gym or don't have time to make a nutritious lunch, what they're, <laughs> what they're really saying is I'm not a priority. Yeah. And that's going to have an adverse effect to what they're actually trying to achieve, which is to be great at all those other things. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, put the, put the mask on yourself in case of emergency so you're in a position to, to help others. Yeah. So that's the priorities. And once people get their head around that, okay, right, um, I, ne- I need to prioritise myself. Are you telling me it's not selfish that's to it. be your own priority? No. 
It's, it's actually selfish. better for everyone else around you if you're looking after yourself first, would it not be? That's correct. It's Dang. common. You yes. talk to parents all the time and you're like, oh, my kids, Yeah, you know, my yeah. husband. And that's human nature. I talk about it all the time. I think human human nature is this disease that we're all born with. God damn it. It's an affliction. Uh, and it's our duty to overcome that that irrational human nature. Yeah. Uh, so once you're in a position to prioritise yourself, then you've got these basic human needs that need to be met. So sense of power, you know, the ability to make choice, freedom, financial, freedom to communicate, freedom not being in jail, yeah. <laughs> um, fun, survival and a sense of belonging. And so when people aren't prioritising themselves, they're not really in a position to then meet their own needs and become emotionally self-sufficient, stand on their own two feet. Yeah. They're going to outsource their happiness and everything's going to dictate how they feel. Um, and when those when those needs are compromised, we usually, what well, we do, we live in fear and we live in fight, flight all the time and it's pumping cortisol through our system and our organs are ageing and getting run down and it's not good for our gut health and all that sort of stuff. So when you then don't meet your needs, you become needy. And when you're needy, you go into these codependent relationships instead of being healthy and interdependent and leaning on each other from time to time. Yeah. You become codependent and then you're going to live in more fear because what happens when that thing moves away, you're going to fall down. Yeah. So heaps of dudes go to the gym, which is great, but a lot of them go too much because they're reliant on the chemicals that they feel when they're in there to make them feel good. That's the only source of I feel good, Yeah. which is, which is not healthy. Going to the gym is healthy. Going to the gym in a codependent manner is not healthy. So I suppose people sort of just need to look at what they're what they're doing on a regular basis, and if that stopped or well, fell away, would they still be content with who they are? So is that how yeah, I spoke about relationships, and that's the third fundamental. So yeah. we really need to explore and evaluate and assess our relationships. And we're yeah. in a relationship with everything external and and internal, anything we give time and energy and thought to. So. I, I realised, I live in Victoria, cold winter, I realised I, I was having two or three cups of tea a day with one sugar in it, black tea, I don't drink coffee, one of those weirdos. Um, and That's not the only thing that makes you weird, mate. <laughs> yes, I know. And so I, I stepped out and I, I became aware of that, firstly, and then I assessed it and I realised, no, it's not working for me, it's not aligned with what I actually want. Uh, so I just stopped drinking coffee, uh, stopped drinking tea for a while, and yeah. it was all, it was awesome. It was, it was really empowering to get up and to say so that I can't stop doing yeah, that. Yeah, not be codependent. I, sh- I showed that tea who's boss, you know. But it was that uh, take the power back, uh, and now I only drink it on the weekends. That's that reminds me of uh, I was talking to Tonka, our mate from Mount Isa, the other day, yep. and because uh, he said you know he used to drink pretty heavily and he used to smoke pretty heavily, and he read a. Uh, well, listen to an audio book about a, a guy. I can't remember the name of the the author, but it was about how to you know how to quit smoking, right? Yeah. And um, you know, he was saying it was literally the, the the way it was delivered. It was you know, I haven't quit smoking. He's like, I just don't smoke. It'll change my relationship. You know what I mean, I don't, I don't. I'm not. I'm not quitting something. Yeah. I just don't do that. Well, the same thing. You know, I, and I, people. Yeah, I used to smoke, and then I, I used to help people to stop smoking. And it was just change your relationship with it. If, if cigarettes were a person, a male or female, and you're in a relationship with them, assess that relationship with them. All they're doing is spending your money <laughs> and they're making you stink. They're making you antisocial because you have to leave that environment with your friends. And they're pumping all these toxins and poisons and chemicals into your system. So they're actually slowly poisoning you and killing you. Mm. Now, now, with your conscious mind, is that a person you would remain in a relationship with? Probably not. The answer's always no. <laughs> so it, it frees people up um, to see things a bit differently and you change your perspective and you're like, fuck, actually, no, that's crazy. Why am I doing that? So it gives them a chance to change. Well, yeah, start to dive into the power of the mind, right? Yeah. And how you can actually be the master of your own kind of destiny, I guess. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it's like getting, getting empowered. Doing things through conscious choice instead of just unconscious programming. I suppose the other thing too, based around, I suppose, talking about smoking, is that a a lot of things out there for people to get off smoking is to be codependent with something else. Yeah. You know? Yep. Take smoking away. Yeah, take smoking away and now they're, you know, whatever, they're drinking more coffee or they're, um, 
you know, chewing gum or, or whatever that is. It, it's, it's like heroin to methadone. But yeah, but but so all, it's... All, so all of those things, like smoking, drinking, drugs, spending money excessively, gambling, all that shit, they're all coping mechanisms. They're all band-aids to make us feel better. Yeah. So you ever think about someone works Monday to Friday, they don't have a self-management strategy. They can't remain present and at peace and in control of themselves emotionally. So, and it's a literal expression, I feel really wound up. I'm going to have a beer to unwind. (laughs) Yeah, true. Yeah, I'm getting so wound up. I need to go and unwind. And so what I'm doing essentially is teaching people not to get wound up in the first place. Yeah. And it's pretty freaking easy when you when you learn how to do it um so that alleviates any necessity for those coping mechanisms so but you're not going to transfer we we had a like a really simple conversation quite a simple way of framing Most of it our conversations are simple well when you're dealing with idiots <laughs> <laughs> but when we were down in melbourne with you yeah. driving along the highway yeah yeah that's right and when you talk about stimulus, the word stimulus, I mean, that could be... Stimuli. Stimulani. Stimulani. It could be interpreted anyway, but basically it's any external factor that affects your... Any experience. Any Anything. Yeah. But we were driving along in two cars in front of us. Some bloody maniac cut off, uh, cut the car in front of us off and sort of thought, wow, mm-hmm. look at this idiot. And we were in no danger. We were in no danger. We were a couple of cars back, but the comment was something along the lines of, look at this. Idiot, might have been a couple of expletives in there, but yeah. it, was a, it was an outburst. It was a bit of an outburst, and you kind of you took your approach and you sort of explained it to us. Can you tell us how that went? Yeah, well, in that space, you immediately outsourced your happiness and you let something external that you've got no control over dictate how you feel, felt. So you had this emotional disturbance. You went from being calm and composed to then heightened and. and off into a different headspace. But that person who cut the other car off in front, I could have easily been that car who was cut off, right? Yeah, but you weren't. But my natural thing is to think... Are we still on this? This happened two years ago. <laughs> no, but it was the way you explained it that started... I can't remember to, how I explained it. What well, so it? it was, put yourself in that person's situation, you know, that they've oh, cut, yeah, cut yeah, another yeah. car off and yeah. it's like, well... Yeah. You know, maybe maybe they are a bad driver, or maybe. <laughs> so you were you were speaking from ignorance, exactly again, in a literal sense. You mm. had no idea if that person had just had a heart attack. You didn't know if they just got a phone call saying your mum's died or your wife's giving birth or whatever. On the way to the hospital, and exactly. they're in a mad rush. Yeah, so yeah. because it didn't suit you and didn't fit in with your beliefs and your value system, you then judged and condemned and mm. you know, put that person down. And that says but more it's, an e- it's an easy thing to do. But that's the easy part. Yeah, so exactly. that said more about you in that moment than it did about that person. Yeah. And I know you didn't mean that. I know that, that you're not that way inclined. So it was very out of character, but it was out of character because it was a, an angry and upset part of you speaking. What, what about when people talk that most things that people do, like, like reactions or, or um, when they make a choice, it's based off emotion? Know most things people do is based off an emotion, how it makes them feel, or mm-hmm. stuff so like that. What's the question? Well, is that a positive thing to be doing, or is it to be sit back and look at it, you know, from your objectively, sense yeah, of, of more of a broader scope rather than just being like, oh, you know, like you said, that makes me feel bad, or well, that. Most of the time, we're we're living in fear, so we're in a negative emotion, mm-hmm. and we make decisions based on fear. So you have a think about when someone falls into quicksand as a metaphor instant that their mind goes into fight flight and they're like ah survival mode instead of just doing what we're meant to do is stay present and stay still and go right don't move otherwise it's going to make situations worse I'm I'm walking along a path so there must mean other people walk along this path so I'll just wait here and someone will come along and be pulled out and I'll be okay. Yeah. So you can go into that constructive thinking. That's what it is, yeah. And yeah. stay present yeah, and, yeah. and calm That's what I'm and thinking. at peace. Yeah. Or you can just continue just reacting mindlessly to everything. Because that's that, yeah, emotional type thinking. And I suppose it can be quite negative in the fact when so you... So, yeah, have, have a... I mean, Danny Frawley recently, you know, uh, unfortunately passed away. And a lot of people... And, and it's true, Danny was full of life, you know, he came into a room and filled a room and everything like that. But I saw in Danny um, a very emotionally driven person and someone who couldn't quite 
regulate their their emotional state. He had deep attachments to how he thought things should or shouldn't be, and when they changed, um, Danny couldn't be too flexible. And the, uh, and I'm very mindful of how I'm talking about him. I, I would say this if he was still alive. So I, I don't want it to be taken and misconstrued like I'm, I'm having pot shots against someone who's just passed away because. My dad played footy with him, and he, and he was um, from my hometown, and so it, it's very sad. But I just, I guess, I want to try and find a positive in Danny's passing and, and help people to understand that uh, if we continue to be so emotionally driven and let our emotions dictate how we feel, then we're always going to be powerless. Like if if stimulus happens, and then we react and we go into a space. More times than not, it'll be a negative space. But if we get what we want, we'll go into a happy space. But then we're going to go back into a negative space because whatever made us happy is going to go away. Yeah. Or it's going to change because everything is impermanent. So operating in that way feels good at the time. It's a very quick fix. It's a very um, instant gratification. Yeah. But it's not healthy long term. So... um. So we got to the third fundamental. Relationships. Which is relationships. Yep. The next one is beliefs. So our belief system is basically our operating system like in a computer. So our beliefs create our thoughts. Thoughts create our feelings. Feelings create our behaviours basically. Okay. And and a lot of time people are so focused on their behaviours and on their feelings and they try and change them or stick band-aids on them to make them go away instead of changing what's actually causing and driving them, which is our beliefs. And a lot of the time we have irrational beliefs and the three most toxic ones are I must be loved, I must be perfect, and I must get what I want. <laughs> and They'll sound pretty good. Yeah, well, they're so immature. You think about a five-year-old, I must get what I want, I must be loved, my parents must listen to me, you know, must be, everything must be perfect. And that is so irrational and it's so ego-driven. Yeah. So that's that human nature to talk about that we need to evolve past. Yeah. So I realised back in my day that um, I had a very out-of-shape belief system yep. that was driving all of my emotional states. Saying that you were, yeah, like I suppose with the veteran affairs type thing, you were like, yeah. I'm owed something or yeah, I deserve I must get what I want and this yeah. must be a perfect system and you must look after me. And I was so demanding. I had so many demands and expectations of the world. But you're also in a bloody vulnerable position where you're looking for support, Yeah, help, but I wasn't doing answers. anything to help myself first and foremost. And this is the thing. I, I created an ex- expectation that... Veterans Affairs, I've made them wholly and solely responsible for my happiness rather than understanding and knowing at the time that uh, there was another choice where I could, you know, first and foremost be responsible for my happiness. Take control. Yeah, and that's what we spoke about with the um, um, National Mental Health Commission CEO a couple of weeks ago. I spent an hour with her in Melbourne learning about the landscape and the 10-year plan for... Uh, she's a suicide prevention advisor to the Prime Minister and it was great having a having an hour chat with her and learning about that landscape. And the biggest thing I said was people aren't taking responsibility. No, the, the golden rule in the MindFit program is that you are responsible for your happiness. No one else. No one else was put here on this earth and no event has been specifically designed to make you happy. Do you think we've become... Know, programmed to feel that way though in certain in certain ways sort of like you know if you go to you know if you can't afford to go to uni you've got hex so you get hex right yeah. so like if hex wasn't available people would be blowing up and saying you know i deserve to be able to go to university well, because or back in the day university was, was free. free or then saying you know i if you're you know people trying to get on a disability pension or something and they're not getting that and they're sort of and same with like you know even people you know out west that are always like you know scomo we need you know Whatever with you yeah. know the drought, we, we need you to make it. Right. Need you to make it better. Like, yeah. how do we? Yeah, how do we make people re? People are choosing to stay in those positions. You know, so easy path again. Not the easy path. Let's, let's go back to the relationships. And if you become fully codependent on a system or on a person, everything they do is going to be scrutinized by you subconsciously, and you're going to decide whether they're making you happy or not. Uh, if you can go into an interdependent relationship and yeah, re- lean into a system to get some help and support, but do everything you can to help yourself as well, which is part of uh, 
should I stay here? Is this an environment that's good for me? Do, could I go and get another job? Should I leave this relationship? You know, you've got to. If you don't take responsibility for your happiness first and foremost, then it's going to be a shit fight from there on. So, and the last one, the beliefs, and then so your beliefs create your thoughts, and then your thoughts come in the form of these thinking styles. So there's a, about 15 different really unhelpful thinking styles. Um, so once we get the belief system sorted. We can clean up those thinking styles and some of those are like worst case scenario. You, know, you magnify things, you jump to conclusions, you crystal ball, you read people's I know what she's thinking. <laughs> no, you don't. I've got no idea what she's thinking. So um, keeping things in proportion, stop personalising things, stop thinking that things are fair and unfair. You know, There's no such thing as fair or unfair. Things are just as they are and they either you know, meet your value system uh, or they don't. So yeah, those f- everything comes back to those five sort of fundamental pillars. Yeah, it's good well, stuff. We could have used a whiteboard. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, yeah, well. Could have, but didn't. So you were talking about your experience with the, uh, sorry, what's her name? The Christine Morgan. Christine Morgan, yeah. Morgs. Yeah, just recently. In a 10-year mental health plan. Yeah. You know, in so in she's tra- she's travelled the country for a couple of months, and they've had all these town hall meetings and, and learnt from people, um, the community, you know, what they're struggling with, what's working, what's not working for them. So I think Christine's amazing. She's come from the Butterfly Foundation, uh, and she, uh, so Lexi, we spoke Crouch. about the Butterfly yeah, Foundation yeah. with Lex. So um, Greg Hunt, the Minister for Health, um, got Christine over to that the commission, the Mental Health Commission, and put her in as the CEO there. And I, so I met with her for an hour and then and then the town hall meeting was that night um, and we listened. I took some clients with me and we all sort of listened in and I watched Christine w- not work the room but manage the room and she listened with compassion and empathy and, yeah, I'm really um, uh, having her in the position she, she's in gives me great hope for, for the mental health landscape going forward and, it was funny how much we had in common. She spoke about how people don't know that they have mental health and now we need to talk about it at, at the same as we do physical health. And I said the same thing. You know, if, if people sit on the couch and eat junk food and watch Netflix and don't exercise, their mental health is going to deteriorate into mental health issues. Yeah. And then if they don't go and see a doctor, those mental health issues will decline into mental illnesses. Uh, same with mental health. And so her and I are very similarly aligned. And I said what Trademut's doing and, and the work we're doing with them and the TX Foundation. And um, I said, I'm talking to Dan and Ed about, you know, realistically, I want to dedicate 10 years to creating a shift in getting blokes uh, in a more empowered position to look after their mental health. And she's like, well, we're trying to create a 10-year plan for the rest of the community as well. So lots of similarities in that, in that way. Synergy. That's really cool. So, but I guess the, the crux of it is... To really shake the shit out of this social issue, yeah, it is really about well, you talk about empowering people with the tools and, and knowledge to, to understand and own their own mental health. Yeah, people um, are working in the dark, you know. Yeah, and it's completely understandable, uh, but the whole the crux of it is is that education is the key. Like there are so many people who find themselves at that crisis point, and there are lots of services out there to deal with people at that crisis point, which are super necessary, but. The idea behind educating people and equipping them with these tools is to stop them from getting that far down that path, correct? Yeah, so it's giving them a fighting chance, really. I'd, I'm, I'm 22 years old, left the army. I had no idea I had mental health. I had no idea how to look after it and keep it in good shape. You know, I was going to the gym and eating well and doing everything to look after my physical health, but completely in the dark in relation to mental health. Um, so if, if we can... Get it across to people that they have mental health and there's, they, the, there's strategies that they can employ, um, there's things they can go and learn. You know, that's what we're, what's called mind fit. We're trying to get people's minds fitter and stronger and healthier and more resilient to manage the day-to-day experiences, not to cope. We don't want, we want to stop coping. We, we want to stop asking for coping mechanisms. We want more self-management strategies because um, it's, it's so more much more empowering. But I guess... What is cool, or you know, from from being in this space, my understanding and, and working with you and everything, it's you know, your psychological state of well-being really controls or is responsible for 
every single decision you make in every single waking moment of your life. You have this massive ripple effect. Mm. Yeah. And it goes through all those components of your life into your into your relationships, into your work, into your hobbies, into everything. It's you know, how you are with your family. The, the state of you affects all of those things greatly. When you talk about the three circles, though, about nutritional, physical, and mental health, yeah, I would tend to think that if you found yourself, yeah, sure, it's a it's a combination, it's an overall score of all three. But I would tend to think that if you manage to you know, be equipped with the tools and understanding to, to manage your own mental health, well, then it's going to make it far easier, have you in a far better position to make healthy decisions about Completely. your food or, 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 you know, healthy decisions about the level of physical activity that you undertake. Yeah, your mental so. health is the most powerful one, but it's the most neglected one. Mm. Like so many people, the, the health industry is worth billions of dollars, but the mental health industry costs billions of dollars because we're just treating the symptoms all the time. Irony. And I think we can change it. Yeah. I think the whole conversation around mental health for, for so long, because it's been predominantly unknown mm-hmm. by, you know, the vast majority of society, it's just... And still is. It's Well, it yeah. still is, right? But, like, you know, I was talking to a fellow who was in here yesterday who you'd met with, and we were talking outside who he's been through some, some struggles, some dramas, uh, but he's since sought help you mm-hmm. and I was talking to him about how awesome that is you know that he's actually seeking that help and 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 gaining the knowledge that he needs because that's the hard part done I think ultimately like from, from where I see it it's taking that that step that first step to of ownership yeah and yeah. sort of and trying to become better like that's the that's yeah, the I'm, challenge. I'm responsible for my happiness but I don't know what happiness is or how to make myself happy so I'm going to go and Find out. In a position where I can learn. So I suppose, you know, sort of finish her up, wind it up would be people out there listening right now yep. that, are th- you know, they've done the the score out of 30. Yep. And they're thinking I'm a little bit low. Mm-hmm. What's next? Just reach out. I mean, I didn't want to go down the I, – I did initially go down the GP path and – Luckily, DVA sort of covered my mental health stuff, so the the money, the finance was not impacting. I mean, it does impact on a lot of people, and there's a mental health care plan out there um, for people. And and like any system, there's there's good doctors and there's bad doctors. So just don't if 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 it doesn't resonate with you, remember if you go to a doctor, he's working for you. Don't outsource your health to him. Uh, surround yourself with people and. They're going to work for you. So if it's not working, go and find someone else. And then you know, if you're linking with a mental health practitioner, they're not working for you, go and find someone else. Just keep Don't going. give up on the journey. Keep going, yeah. yeah. Or just ring me. Everyone's, you know, shoot me an email and come and come and do a – it's sort of more personal development as well as – I guess that's where I cross the bridge in, in therapy and personal development. I've sort of got a foot in both camps. Yeah. Where a lot of people are just doing the therapy. Yeah. So, I'm trying to free people up and then empower them with the tools and resources so they can keep going forward. Just for the record, Ed and I both had a crack, but we didn't have a crack. We completed your six-week program. You did. We went through Shining the, colours. the five fundamentals in, it, in in a little bit more depth and we even did a little bit of meditation in there as well. Yep, I run meditation classes, teaching people how to sit without moving a muscle for an hour at a time because once you can do that on that level, you, it's amazing how what you can do. Out there on the external world. Meditation, so. wow. It's yeah, man. Pretty out there, mate. No, it's not. It's Everyone's gotta, doing it. It's got to become the norm. It's got to, it's, it's not out there, it's in there. It's in there. <laughs> That's the irony. We're like doing it. it right now. Sister awesome, mate. Well, you, we mentioned on your intro that you are the co host of the Woke Blokes podcast. Yeah, you wrap your ear balls around that. Check so what what can we expect on that on that podcast? Just me and my mate Ryan. He's uh, oh Rydog. Rydog. He's from the he's the founder of Center for Healing. I'm obviously the founder of MindFit. Uh, Rydog's <laughs> past is similar to mine, but different. He's a lived experience practitioner. He was a tradie that went down the ice path. So uh, and he pulled himself out of that um, after a bit of jail time. And it's just he and I talking about where we were and where we're at now and, and how much more awareness we have and how much that awareness has given us a capacity to sort of be more present and be have healthier relationships and all that sort of stuff. So 
yeah, we just we take the piss out of each other and and try and you know, teach people what they can do differently. So love it. Cool, man. Awesome. Listen. Thanks, Sutho. And uh, check Sutho out at uh, MindFit M Y N D F I T. That's correct. Dot com. Dot au. Dot au. Uh, or on Instagram. And MindFit Program. Yeah, love it. All nice. right, thanks, Sutho. Really appreciate it today, mate. It's awesome. Cheers, boys. Thanks, Sutho. Welcome. <laughs> You've been listening to Trademutt's 120 Grit podcast. To watch it online, head to www.trademutt.com or you can check us out on Facebook and Instagram using the handle at Trademutt. Thanks for listening.